0: Hello, campus cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Turner, higher education professional and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. When Binghamton University student Haley Anderson went missing in March of 2018, her roommates turned to their iPhones in the Find My Friends app in a desperate attempt to locate her. The app led them to the apartment of fellow Binghamton student Orlando Tercero, but when he wasn't answering the door and was nowhere to be found, Haley's friends took matters into their own hands. They entered the apartment through an unlocked window and what they discovered would haunt them forever. The lifeless body of their friend, Haley, lying on Tercero's bed. This episode is titled, Finding Their Friend. So without further ado, let's get started. In the spring of 2018, 22-year-old Haley Anderson was a senior attending Binghamton University, a public four-year institution in Broome County, New York, which is located just north of the Pennsylvania border. Haley, a smart, driven straight-A student, was accepted into the nursing program at Binghamton and she was on track to graduate with a bachelor's degree in May of 2018. Her friends and family said Haley had always dreamed of being a nurse because she was a natural helper and nursing would allow her to do just that, help people. In fact, she even had a nursing job lined up back home in Westbury, New York, after graduation that spring. Karen Anderson, Haley's mom, said she was so proud of Haley's accomplishments, and she was even planning to throw Haley a graduation party. Karen said, quote, She had worked so hard and done so well, and I was going to give her this big party. She made out this really long list of everyone that she was going to invite, end quote. Haley also was the true definition of a free spirit, and Karen even described her daughter as a millennial hippie. She said, quote, the way she dressed, her hair, her personality, the way she was with her friends. She trusted everybody. She talked to everybody, End quote. During college, it's no surprise that Haley met tons of people and forged many friendships. And one person who caught Haley's eye in particular was her on-again, off-again boyfriend of several years, Kevin Ocampo. On an episode of 48 Hours, Kevin, who also was a nursing major at Binghamton, told journalist Maria Elena Salinas that he loved Haley and he really thought they'd eventually have a future together after college. But Haley, being the vibrant, free spirit that she was, wanted to see the world and experience life before settling down into a serious relationship. Kevin explained that Haley had aspirations of moving to California and getting herself a hippie van that she could take out on the road. She even wanted to be a traveling nurse eventually so she could go around the country and see all the places but that also meant that haley decided she wanted to date other people you know rather than be tied down or exclusive with anyone she wanted to see who was out there who she clicked with and had chemistry with but you know nothing too serious so during her time at binghamton university haley met another fellow nursing student orlando tercero according to that episode of 48 hours Haley and Tercero first met in class, but they didn't form a friendship until Haley's senior year, when they crossed paths at a party, a party that just happened to be held at Kevin's off-campus apartment. Kevin explained that it was just kind of a coincidence that Haley and Tercero met at his party, but afterward, all three of them became friends and started hanging out together. Kevin got so close to Tercero that he even asked Tercero to join his fraternity. Kevin explained, quote, "'We try to recruit people "'who we think we would get along with well and being that we were both from Hispanic backgrounds, me and him were the only two people that spoke Spanish, so I thought it'd be a good idea, end quote. However, this friendship triangle didn't last long. During one of Kevin and Haley's off-again breaks, Tercero broke the bro code and swooped in. He made a pass at Haley, and the two started hanging out in a friends-with-benefits type of way. While Tercero wanted more, though, Haley did not. Karen, Haley's mom, said, quote, they had some romantic times together, but Haley was very clear from the beginning that she didn't want to be in a committed relationship, end quote. About as soon as Tercero joined that fraternity, he was pushed right back out. That is, after he basically tried to take his fellow fraternity brother's girlfriend. For this, though, Haley's family and friends said that she felt guilty. She felt like it was her fault that he lost his friends from the fraternity. Although... It would later be revealed that Tercero made her feel guilty by the comments he would make to her, like he would threaten to die by suicide and stuff like that. So reluctantly, it seemed, Haley continued being his friend and never completely turned her back on him. One of Tercero's friends and roommates, Jesse Bua, told Maria Elena Salinas on 48 Hours that Haley's and Tercero's relationship, situationship, friendship, whatever you want to call it, was a bit sporadic. He said, quote, Sometimes they were bickering, sometimes they weren't, and other times they would laugh hysterically. And other times, they kept their distances and wouldn't see each other for a little bit, end quote. Even though Haley continued to be friends with Tercero, he started taking advantage of that friendship and going around Haley's and her roommate's apartment unannounced and uninvited. According to Investigation Discovery, Haley's roommates would often find Tercero sitting on their front porch, smoking a cigarette and waiting for Haley to arrive even though she didn't invite him over. Josie Arton, one of Haley's friends and roommates, said a lot of times she would go outside and deal with Tercero, even if Haley was there because Haley just didn't want to see him. Haley was trying to set boundaries and he didn't respect those boundaries in the least. Plus, he had a jealous side, which is why Haley's friends think he started randomly showing up. Josie said, quote, he just didn't want to see someone else over there. He was clearly weirdly possessive of Haley, who wasn't his girlfriend." By the fall of 2017 though, Haley and Kevin Ocampo had rekindled their relationship and were back on, something that Orlando Tercero discovered one night during a party at his house. Let's just say he didn't take it very well, because the next morning, Haley woke up and discovered that all four of the tires on her vehicle had been slashed. The night before, after the party, Kevin had stayed the night at Haley's apartment, and he is the one who actually noticed the tires. Kevin said, quote, I was the one who found her tire slashed. We wake up, she walks me out of the door, and when I was walking past her car, I noticed that something looked off about it. And I told her right away, I said, it must be Orlando, end quote. Right away, Haley took to social media, posting a video of her slashed tires to Snapchat. Her childhood best friend, Sydney Matusak, saw the Snapchat post from her house a few hundred miles away, and she saved it just in case Haley might need it for future evidence. Sydney explained, quote, I was just like, what just happened? Why would anyone do that? How crazy do you have to be to slash someone's tires? End quote. Obviously, Haley and her friends were 99.9999% sure that they knew exactly who did it. But Tercero, of course, denied it. He even tried to blame Kevin and accused him of being the one who slashed the tires. But Karen, Haley's mom, wasn't buying any of it. She said, quote, I said, Haley, you need to make a police report. So the police came over. They took the information down, but she wouldn't press charges because it was over $600 in damage and it would have been considered a felony and he would have been kicked out of nursing school, end quote. So, yeah. Haley ultimately elected not to pursue charges because she didn't want him getting into that kind of serious trouble. You know, the kind that could potentially affect his whole life's trajectory. But after this incident, Haley did keep her distance from Tricero for a while. Eventually, though, he wore her down and she let him back into her life. At the end of the day, she trusted him and wanted to be his friend. Nearly six months later, though, in March of 2018, that trust would forever be shattered, and Haley would come up missing. That brings us to Wednesday, March 7th, 2018. On this day, Haley and her two roommates, Josie and Michelle, decided to spend the night drinking wine and playing board games at home. You know, just a good old fashioned girls' night in. After the night was over though, and the roommates woke up the next morning, they couldn't find Haley, and they soon realized she wasn't even home. The thing is, Josie and Michelle knew their friend well, and they knew Haley did her own thing. She was an adult and could go wherever she wanted. It's not like they were out to keep tabs on one another. So they didn't immediately worry about her or think too much about her absence. It wasn't until the next day that the worry began to really set in. On Thursday, March 8th, when nobody had seen or heard from Haley for an entire day, Haley's friends made several attempts to contact her. They called and sent text messages, but Haley wasn't responding to any of them. This was definitely not in Haley's character, so at this point, they were becoming increasingly concerned. But it was later that night that really sent them over the edge, sick with worry. You see, Haley had promised Josie that she would watch her perform at a local poetry night, but when the event was said and done and Haley never showed, that's when her friends knew that something must be wrong. The next day, on Friday, March 9, 2018, Haley was still not responding to texts or phone calls from her roommates. And as they were racking their brains, trying to think of something they could do to try and find her, Josie and Michelle remembered that they were all sharing their locations through an app on their cell phones. According to Investigation Discovery, they turned to the Find My Friends app on their iPhones, which allows users to share exact locations with friends and family. Users can choose to share their location temporarily or all the time. So when Haley's roommates pulled up the app, they could see a blue dot where Haley's phone was at any given time. And on March 9th, when they checked the app, the blue dot sent them to the front steps of Orlando Tercero's apartment. When they got there and knocked on the door, nobody answered. But they knew Haley's phone was somewhere inside that house. So they also knew that they needed to somehow get inside. After checking the windows, Josie and Michela decided to climb through one that was unlocked. And when they did, they discovered something that would forever change their lives. Josie recalled, quote, I boosted Michela up first and then climbed in. And she was a little ways ahead of me. And basically, she screamed and yelled to me, like, Josie, call 911. And I walk in there, and then I see Orlando's bedroom, and, and Haley's there. I didn't know for sure that she was dead at the time. She was just so pale, end quote. When police arrived, it didn't take them long to determine that Haley was deceased, although they wouldn't know the exact cause or manner of death until after a medical examiner could perform an autopsy. But what they did know was that Orlando Tercero was nowhere to be found, so the search was on to locate him. At this point, it seemed like he was the only one who could provide some answers, and an autopsy would later reveal that Haley's cause of death was asphyxiation by neck compression, so... She was strangled to death. Meanwhile, back in Haley's hometown of Westbury, New York, Karen didn't even know Haley was missing, let alone that her daughter was dead. You see, Haley was fiercely independent, and while Haley and Karen had an amazing relationship, I mean, they were basically best friends, they looked forward to a long weekly phone call every Sunday. So Karen wasn't expecting to talk to her daughter for another couple of days. But I want to be clear, it's not that Haley didn't want to talk to her mom every day. It was more like she didn't need to talk to her mom every day because she was so independent. Karen Anderson said, quote, I didn't talk to her every day because she was like, Mom, can you call me every Sunday? I said, okay, End quote. Karen recalled the day that the two officers showed up at her house to deliver the news about Haley. Although Orlando Tercero hadn't been named an official suspect just yet, Karen's gut told her he was responsible. I mean, who else could it be? Karen, with tears streaming down her face, said, quote, I was just numb. I felt angry that I didn't push for him to be arrested for that tire slashing, and that I didn't, you know, raise more red flags for Haley with that, end quote. Authorities back in Binghamton launched their investigation into Haley's murder one of the first things they did was sort through surveillance footage of a camera outside of Tercero's apartment. This would give investigators a better idea of exactly who was coming and going from the home, as well as timestamps of when they were coming and going. After going through the footage, investigators discovered that Haley met up with Tercero in the early morning hours of Thursday, March 8th, because they could see both her and Tercero walking into his residence at the time. But the only person who ever came back out of the home was Tercero. Binghamton police Lieutenant Corey Miner said, quote, after Miss Anderson walks into the house, she is never seen again. Mr. Tercero, on the other hand, he is seen leaving the residence several times, end quote. Investigators noted that seven hours after arriving to his apartment with Haley, Tercero was seen taking out the trash and leaving alone. Police found receipts in his apartment and tracked his movements from this block of time specifically to a local pharmacy where he oddly purchased two over-the-counter sleep aids, ZQIL and melatonin. I say oddly because none of the source material ever mentions these products again, like why he purchased these products, or if they were significant, or whatever. But put a pin in this because I do have some thoughts, so I'll come back around. Anyway, the security footage then showed Tercero arriving back to his place shortly after the pharmacy run. After this, the cameras didn't pick Tercero up again for another seven hours. When they did though, he didn't go very far. The cameras showed him walking in the direction of the basement where he entered it through an outside door from what I can tell. Now bear with me, but investigators believe that Tercero tried to hang himself when he went to his basement, but ultimately he failed. And before you can even ask why they think this, it's because they later discovered some yellow hooks and a necktie that Tercero had left behind. According to District Attorney for Broom County, Steve Cornwell, authorities also found some spots of blood on the floor of the basement, and the tie was hanging from a doorway. Plus, they found a note in Tercero's apartment as well. It was handwritten in Spanish from Tercero that translates to, I'm really sorry about this. I never felt I could be capable of doing this. The note also said, Papi, te veo pronto, which means, Father, I'll see you soon. Now, again, I'll circle back around and talk more about this note later, but for now, I want to continue with the timeline. So, when security cameras picked Tercero up for the final time, it was 16 hours before Haley's body was discovered. He was fleeing the scene with his head bandaged up and luggage in tow. Needless to say, within only a few hours, Tercero was their number one suspect. Soon after establishing a timeline from the security footage, authorities learned that Tercero drove over three hours from his apartment in Binghamton to the JFK International Airport in New York City. There, he boarded a plane and headed to Nicaragua. You see, Orlando Tercero held dual citizenship as both an American and a Nicaraguan. D.A. Cornwell said, quote, when I learned he was in Nicaragua before we could get to him. The first thing I thought was no way he got away with murder. I don't know what our relationships are with Nicaragua, but if he fled there and we don't have a way to get him back because he has dual citizenship, this is not going to be good." End quote. As investigators looked more into Tercero, they discovered that he was from a well-to-do family. He was born in Miami, Florida, but he grew up in Nicaragua. He was a dedicated, smart student whose dad was a physician, which is why Tercero chose to go into the nursing program in college. He wanted to study medicine and follow in his father's footsteps, which might help explain that note he left a little more and put it into context. You see, his father had passed away five years prior in 2013. Anyway, 48 Hours reported that when Tercero arrived in Nicaragua, the city of Managua specifically, His mother picked him up from the airport and then drove him about three hours north to the smaller city of Chinandega, which was Tercero's hometown. For several days, authorities learned he allegedly hid out in the house where he grew up before his mother drove him to the larger city of Lyon to seek medical attention. Apparently Tercero was taken to the hospital for self-inflicted wounds, but I'm not sure if they were fresh wounds or if they were still injuries from his suicide attempt in the US. Either way, This hospital is where Nicaraguan police found and arrested Orlando Tercero. You see, while he had been hiding out for the previous five days, U.S. and Nicaraguan police had been in contact and Nicaraguan police were informed that Tercero was wanted for murder in the States. The day after taking him into custody, police in Managua, the capital of Nicaragua, held a press conference announcing his arrest. The media showed him in handcuffs in police custody, but they hadn't charged him with a crime just yet. And soon, the fight for international justice was on. According to an article in the Binghamton Press and Sun Bulletin, murder is clearly an extraditable offense under a U.S.-Nicaragua treaty that was signed in 1907. However, the treaty does not require either country to extradite one of its own citizens which turned out to be a major conundrum in this case, since, you know, Tercero was a citizen of both countries. According to Cora True Frost, an associate professor at Syracuse University College of Law back in 2018, she considered it highly unlikely that authorities in Nicaragua would pursue a trial against Tercero there. Rather, she really thought they would likely extradite him back to the U.S. since the murder happened on U.S. soil. Here, in the United States, Torcero was facing a charge of second-degree murder. But, to everyone's surprise, Nicaragua elected not to extradite him. By September of 2019, after nearly a year and a half of going back and forth about the extradition of Orlando Torcero, D.A. Cornwell received a call from the Department of Justice. Cornwell explained, quote, I was told, good news, bad news situation. And I said, all right, well, what's the bad news? they're not gonna extradite him," end quote. The good news, however, was that Nicaraguan authorities were willing to try him there. But honestly, at the time, to Cornwell, it wasn't all that great of news. He said, quote, "'I thought we had a snowball's chance in hell of getting a conviction in Nicaragua," end quote. This was especially after they charged him with a crime that doesn't even exist in the United States. They charged him with femicide, or the murder of a woman with whom the perpetrator had a relationship. But y'all, let me tell you something. The Nicaraguan justice system came through. So, allow me to explain. In Nicaragua, Tercero wasn't required to enter a plea of any kind. Rather, he was just going to go to trial based on the charges at hand, and that was that. And, at trial, there would be no jury. Instead, after the presentation of evidence from both sides, a single judge would determine his fate. But in order to prepare for the trial, Cornwell and his office in Broome County were actually asked to assist the Nicaraguan prosecution team, which was a glimmer of hope for them yet. Cornwell explained, quote, We had eight days to prepare for trial. Eight days. And probably the biggest part is to set up a way to communicate. So the Nicaraguan authorities agreed that we could use teleconferencing, end quote so the whole trial would be conducted partly in person in Nicaragua and partly by teleconference in the U.S., where witnesses would testify from the Broome County DA's office to a courtroom that was over 4,000 miles away in Managua. Tercero's trial began October 1, 2019, over a year after Haley's murder. Presiding over the case was Judge Fabiola Batencourt. During the trial, Karen Anderson was the first person to take the stand for the prosecution, who testified about the problems in Tercero's and Haley's relationship. She told the court about how Tercero would not stop texting her and following her around and driving by her house. Prior to the trial though, Karen had never really seen Orlando Tercero, so this was her first time coming face to face with him, even if it was just through a teleconference screen. Karen told Maria Alina Salinas on 48 hours, quote, I felt sad that he ruined so many people's lives. And then, as the trial went on, I had become much more and more angry because he acted very arrogant and almost as if he was there and he was bored, End quote. Josie Arton, one of Haley's roommates, also testified, who explained how possessive Tercero was over Haley, as did Haley's ex-boyfriend Kevin Ocampo. A Binghamton police investigator, Carl Peters, took the stand too, who walked the judge through the crime scene and all the evidence pointing to Tercero as Haley's killer. The judge also heard from the pathologist who performed Haley's autopsy, Dr. James Terzian. And finally, D.A. Cornwell told the Nicaraguan judge that the evidence against Tercero was overwhelming. Cornwell said, quote, he choked her to death. He took Haley, who I believe may have been sleeping, and he choked the life out of her and left her there to rot. That is a sick, disturbed man that could take advantage of somebody he claimed to love and kill her because he couldn't have her, end quote. So just as a side note, whenever he said that he thinks she may have been sleeping, well, that makes me think that maybe Tercero was purchasing those sleep aids for Haley, not for himself. Like he knew what he was going to do, and so he wanted her to be in like a really deep sleep. I don't know for sure that was never brought up at the trial and never explained, but those are just my thoughts. Anyway, after prosecutors made their case, Tercero's defense attorney, Eduardo Ruby, was up next, who tried to prove that Orlando Tercero was temporarily insane. Ruby argued that Tercero had been under the extreme influence of alcohol, and he even called a psychiatrist to the stand, the one and only witness in the defense's case. According to that episode of 48 Hours, Dr. Ronald Lopez Aguilar testified that Tercero told him he had no recollection of the crime. He claimed he woke up after a night of heavy drinking to find Haley dead in his bed. But the thing is, the psychiatrist could not verify if Tercero was telling the truth, and he said there was no way to tell what Tercero's state of mind was at the time. What the psychiatrist could say, definitively, was that there was nothing wrong with the guy's current mental state, not in the slightest. Cornwell, though, the DA, wasn't buying one second of Tercero's claims. Cornwell said, quote, It's indefensible it was an indefensible case, I would say there is absolutely no possibility that he doesn't remember what happened. There's no evidence that he was drunk or on drugs. There's no evidence that he had some sleepwalking disorder, you know, commits murder in his sleep, end quote. Now, normally in the U.S., the jury would deliberate after closing arguments and come back with a verdict. But in this case, Judge Baten Court did something that would never happen in a U.S. courtroom, before the verdict, she gave Haley's family the last word. So Karen addressed the court and said, quote, Haley was a beautiful, intelligent, and friendly girl. She was an aspiring nurse and had her whole life to look forward to. She was and still is my best friend. So thank you for listening and letting me speak on behalf of my daughter, end quote. Again, unlike the American court system, the judge said she would deliberate and announce her verdict after a short recess. And after only 90 minutes, Judge Fabiola Batencourt returned with a bold statement. She denounced violence against women and advocated for equal rights. She made it a point to say that Tercero disposed of Haley because he could not accept that she had control over herself. And with that, Judge Batencourt found Tercero guilty of femicide. Two weeks later, Orlando Tercero was sentenced to 30 years in a Nicaraguan prison, the maximum sentence possible for the crime. While sentencing Tercero, Judge Batencourt pointed out that since he took it upon himself to punish Haley for rejecting him, the judge was punishing him for his heinous, shameful crime. Karen explained her feelings after securing Tercero's conviction and sentencing. She said, quote, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy that we could work with this other country and that the prosecuting attorney did such a good job and was so passionate about this conviction and the judge. And it was just amazing to me, End quote. After the trial was all said and done, D.A. Cornwell expressed his belief that Tercero would strike again if he were given the chance. Cornwell said, quote, he's a killer, and if he didn't kill Haley that day, he probably would have killed somebody else. And if he's ever released, he'll kill again, end quote. Less than a year later, though, in February of 2020, Tercero appealed his conviction and was back in court in front of three magistrates. His defense attorney brought the same arguments and asked for a new psychiatric evaluation by a more experienced forensic psychiatrist. The defense also argued that Tercero was wrongfully charged, that if he would have been charged and convicted for the crime in the US, he would have faced a lesser sentence with the possibility of parole. According to the Binghamton Press and Sun Bulletin, Tercero was facing a second degree murder charge in the States, which carries a maximum sentence of 25 years to life but the three magistrates immediately considered and rejected his request for a second psychiatric opinion. As for reducing or modifying his sentence, though, well, they needed a little time to deliberate on that. But a month later, the appellate court reached a decision, and Tercero's appeal was completely denied. According to the episode of 48 Hours, 23-year-old Tercero will spend the next 30 years in an overcrowded Nicaraguan penitentiary where he will receive one small meal of rice and beans each day. If he wants anything more or different, his mother or family will have to deliver it to him. And in the off chance that Tercero ever returns to the United States upon his release from prison in Nicaragua, American authorities said they will pursue charges against him here as well. Karen Anderson was relieved that the person who so heartlessly took her daughter's life would serve the time he deserved. She said, quote, How do you put that power in your own hands and look at somebody and watch them, their breath get taken away from them? It's so intimate to me and so brutal. I mean, it's one thing to kill somebody with a gun, but to just take their lives with your hands like that is so raw and sad and just unbelievable. End quote. Before I officially wrap up this episode, I want to circle back around to the date of May 18th, 2018, just a couple months after Haley's life was so senselessly taken. On this day, Haley would have been walking across the stage at her college graduation, receiving a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing. Instead, Haley's father, Gordon Anderson, accepted the diploma on her behalf. He said quote, "I guess the reason why I wanted to do that is because I couldn't see her walk up and get it. that maybe by me going up, I would feel a part of her in me End quote." Haley's family remembers her as an intelligent, beautiful soul who they will spend the rest of their lives missing. Gordon compared his daughter to a beacon in a lighthouse. Gordon said, quote, she lived by compassionate spiritual means. She showed love to everyone she met. She lighted the paths of the unfortunate, the searching, and the ones who needed help. Her flame is now extinguished, end quote. Okay y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 70. Be sure to check out my social media, where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram. That's also where you can find a direct link to my Patreon. Each month I drop a bonus episode exclusive to my patrons and subscribers. This month I haven't dropped it yet, but I'm planning to get it out later this week. So be sure to check that out for some extra campus crime stories. Okay, well that's all for today, so bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in one week for the next Chronicle.